And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the Bat Around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday, February the 29th, 2020. It is positively the last day of February. It is positively the last show we will do in February 2020. And what are you doing? Well, it's leap year, so I figured I... Anyway. That's really... That may be one of the lamest things. Yeah, absolutely. I you had, like, crotchets. No, 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 no. How are you, Craig Heist? I'm all right, Stan, a fan. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And uh, Mr. Valley, how are you this morning? Doing pretty well. Thanks for asking. Good, 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 good. All right. Well, we are here for another round of the Battle Round. Next week, Paul Valley and Miles Goodman okay. will be in the house taking over things. Um, by the way, are you here... On March the 21st, uh, or is it too far away to uh, even project? Three probably weeks? too far away to project, but let me take a quick look. All right, and I'll because be able I to will that. not be here. So either Valley and Goodman will be here, or there'll be a best of program. But okay. we'll find that out. Uh, or Craig Heist will be here with Mr. Valley or Mr. Goodman. Uh, here's what we've got on the show today. Mr. Andrew Stetko, Utah Street Report, will join us from Arizona. Um, Mike Shallon from the New Hampshire Union Leader will join us at 1045. It's been about six weeks since we've had Mike on the show. Uh, Bill Latson joins us at about 1115. And then 1135, we'll talk to the author of Astro Ball, mm-hmm. uh, who accurately in Sports Illustrated I think it was in 2014 or 15 that he wrote the cover story introducing the world champs of 2017 two and a half years in advance, and clearly he had no inkling that that bunch was going to be a bunch of cheaters. So we'll talk to him about the um, the effect that uh, this cheating scandal has had on Astro Ball and his belief in that book, and we'll talk to him about something exciting that he's working on, Craig. Uh, he's launching a podcast. Well, he will be kind of the host and originator of the content, but it's with an outfit called Cadence 13. They're launching new sports documentary podcast franchise. Season one to explore the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal. Who better than uh, Ben Ryder, who's so familiar with that team, uh, and uh, we'll talk to Ben about that as well. well on the base, the basis of it, though, I mean, in terms of uh, Astro Ball and uh, the way the organization put the team together, I don't think has anything any correlation to the cheating scandal itself. Because yeah, they were still going to be a pretty damn uh, good team. You're darn right, yeah. and uh, I mean, that was all about uh, collecting and, and assembling talent. Uh, and being able to draft the right way and, and build through your organization from the minor leagues up. And uh, I think the Astros did a pretty nice job with that. It's just a shame that once they got there, 
that it turned out to be the way it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we want to hit it uh, early and often to please, if you are tuning in on Facebook Live, to please like the show and share the show. And uh, if you are just going to listen in, go to pressboxonline.com slash radio. The Facebook, in case you are listening and say, hey, I didn't know you guys were on Facebook Live. Uh, the way you get there is to go to Facebook, uh, Facebook Live at by typing in in your um what's it called the place you type it in up top here what is the that pla- the place you type it in up top there. you type in pressbox online excuse me facebook.com slash pressbox sports all right uh but please like and share the show it really adds uh something for our advertisers to see how many people uh partake in the show and we understand that a view on the show doesn't mean that somebody is definitely sitting there for two hours watching this, but it means that they've stopped what they were doing to pay attention for a little while. Right, got a sample size of it. Got a sample size of it, and uh, hopefully we'll come back and like it. I mean, we, you know, two weeks ago, the week you weren't here and Miles Goodman was here, Mm -hmm. we had one of our largest... Um, ever no, like over nine hundred. That, goes, that yeah. goes to show you what yeah, happens so when I'm not here. This is probably going to be your last show. Well, that's, uh, that you know. works for me. I can sleep in. All right. Um, how things at the Costas Inn? Have you been there lately? Uh, when was the last time I was in there? Uh, Wednesday night, I think. Okay. No, no, Thursday night. Thursday, Thursday night. night. Yeah. Okay. How were things? Did you yeah. eat there? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was Karen Galleon's birthday last night. Okay. Sorry, I missed that. Okay. So, uh, Mama Mama Boo with a big uh, a big number and uh, uh, a really nice birthday cake that they made for her. Uh, do they make the cakes right there? Or do they? Uh, purchase? I, I don't think so. I think yeah, they, they, yeah. Pur- they purchase yeah, it, it was, like it you or I. It was an eat cake uh, right. with six O and uh, so. It was, what birthday it was, was it? Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, but it was a really nice, uh, you know, and and uh, Christine. Always does a real nice job with social media over there. Yes, and, she uh, does. Yes, and she, she does. posted uh, a bunch of videos and uh, of, of the celebration. And uh, they had right. Rick Fahey on, uh, you know, in music last night. So it was a pretty nice time. All right. Well, we wish uh, them well out there, and we wish her a happy birthday. Again, Andrew Stetka joins us at 1020 from Utah Street Report. 1045, Mike Shallon joins us at 1110, 11.15. Bill Latson of uh, MLB.com will join us with his regular weekly visit, and then we'll uh, drop down to 11.35 and Ben Ryder, uh, author of Astro Ball. So that's the guest list on today's show. Um, what are you making of uh, a couple players so far? You know, we're uh, 1,200 miles away from Sarasota, uh, but it sure looks like Chris Davis is playing well got two home runs and it looks like a guy named ryan mountcastle is hitting the heck out of the ball yeah and i mean that's good for mountcastle i i think that you know from every indication that i've gotten being around the team over the last couple of years i think people think that he can hit and and perform at this level uh and again right now it's a matter of him getting the opportunity you know and what his situation is in, in terms of you know, options and things of that nature. I'm not sure. But, again, 
Well, I, I, would, I think they're going to give Chris Davis every opportunity to prove that he can continue hitting the baseball. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think the only way that Ryan Mountcastle would make this team is if he has an, a very good spring and there's an injury to either Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, or Chris Davis right. at this point in time. Uh, or Renato Nunez. So there's four places that you could possibly see Mountcastle breaking in and the club clearly doesn't want any of those injuries to take place. So it looks to me like we're looking at 250 at-bats at the minor league level at AAA. And based on what he did last year at AAA, where he won the MVP at 21 years of age, uh, I would say that he really should um, you know, immediately get over the disappointment of being optioned down you know, which he will probably be optioned down somewhere in the 15th of March, somewhere like that, uh, which is only 10 days before the season starts, uh, the major league season starting this year early, March 26th. But I would think he, he's the type of guy who could hit 350-ish down at AAA for the first 250 at-bats this year. Could be. Uh, you know, he's certainly swinging it well in, in spring training so far. I'm really impressed uh, with Davis with the two home runs he's hit, both of them in the opposite field. But, you know, the the batting average, obviously early sample size, 800. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the OPS is off the chart at this point. And those are all good things about having maybe 10 or 11 at-bats to this point Yeah, uh, when you make the most of them. So, but uh, I'm interested to see what happens because I like Chris. I agree with you in a lot of ways in, in terms of, and we've talked about this on this show, about it being between his head and between the ears, uh, the struggles over the last few years. Let's hope he's got it straightened out. And if he can get it straightened out, a couple of things. One, he can help this team be a more competitive team. Right. And the second thing is, come the trade deadline, depending on how he's playing, there might be something of value there for him. I, I still don't see any team, even if he has a big first half, being willing to take on the, well, the ninety that's, million dollars, that's the albatross, yeah. you know, or is it sixty? How much? What's the left on the? I think it's sixty-three, sixty-four. Six, I was going to say sixty-one or yeah. sixty-three. Yeah, but that's the big albatross, obviously. But yeah. I think the Orioles, if they were, if they found something that they could uh, deal in, I think that the Orioles would probably take a, a, a chunk of that, and you know, to to get rid of him. Not not in a bad well, way. But well, the question is, at that point, you know, no team is going to pick up even half of that salary or $15 million a year, and the Orioles would pick up like half of it. No, no team is going to pick up half of it and give you anything of value in return in the deal. So I'd almost, at that point, if he's performing well, I don't see him being tradable at well, all. Well, you know, but who knows? I mean, those are all questions that we have to wait and see how he performs first, in okay. my mind. Right. Well, and and the thing about Chris Davis with the way that he's going to perform, yeah, right now he's getting on base at an 875 clip and he's in 800. This is through eight plate appearances. What, right. what, what's going to happen when he starts having, you know, when he goes when he starts getting out? When he starts striking out, is is he going to stay right between the ears, or is this going to be something that falls apart again as soon as he starts to fail a little bit? Yeah. You know, the only thing I wish about Chris at this point, this is not a guy, first of all, I don't think anybody in this room 
dislikes Chris, no, and you're in the, you're in the Great locker guy. room. I mean, he's well liked, well respected. Uh, but by the same token, this is not a one year slump. This is four seasons that he's been absolutely horrible each year and gets more horrible the next year. Um, I just wish, and I'm not saying he should be angry with the media. I wish he would take sort of a, hey, guys, I'm just out here. I'm playing ball. Don't really want to talk about it. This whole thing where he starts getting into explaining what's going on and all that, I know he's trying to be friendly to the media and all that. To me, it's just it's stuff that flies back in your face if you go into another terrible season. It becomes meaningless. So I would just say, not shut up, but just sort of laugh it off to the media. Say, hey, guys, not thinking about it at all. I just, you know, just out there playing and enjoying myself. But he starts to go into how, uh, you know, how he's feeling and how he, uh, it just, it, it, it doesn't strike well, a resonant chord But, but, but if, a, if a member of the media goes up to him and says, why, why do you think you've done so well your first 10 at bats? Right. He said, well, you know, I don't really think there's anything different about me in, in terms of I just feel like crap, just like I had the last three years. Well, I mean, you know. No, I'm not saying he says that. I'm just saying he he goes into, I mean, if you read some of Mioli's articles and and uh, and Riches and Rocks, he goes into these, like, details trying to explain what's going on, and it has only been, like, like Paul's alluding to, it's been eight at bats. Well, and... So it kind of makes me think about Ioannis Cespedes up and up with the Mets, right? So he came out. You know he's been injured. He had a three-year, $75 million contract with them, and he hasn't lived up to it. He's barely been on the field. So he said at the beginning of spring training, I'm not talking to the media all year. Now, see, that's, uh, uh, that, uh, he's pissed off at the media that they've mm-hmm. characterized him a certain way. Chris does not have that animus toward the media, and I'm not talking about him saying, hey, guys, I'm not talking. You know, in that attitude, like Ioannis Cespedes. I'm saying he should just laugh it off and say, hey, I don't want to get too deep into this. You know, that's all. I mean, I know what you're saying, but that's vastly different. That's a player who is kind of tired of what the media sort of dredged up. I think the media is the ones that found out that he hurt that ankle terribly, uh, trying to rope up or pull down a wild boar on his ranch or something like that, vastly different than uh, the Chris Davis situation. All right, um, Craig, anything else at jumping out at you in uh, so far? Uh, in terms of the Orioles? Yeah. Uh, not really. Uh, you know, I, I think they're playing pretty decent baseball, albeit for spring training, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, uh, no, in terms of pitching – about you know, great that Cobb was able to Cobb, pitch one time and, yeah, and not have a problem. Come out of it okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and at this point in spring training, that's all you're really looking for is to stay healthy. I mean, you know, you you throw it over to the Nationals end of it. Uh, you know, Steven Strasburg yesterday had a one, two, three first inning with a couple of punch outs, gave up a couple of hits in the second and allowed three runs, but he got an inning and a third in, thirty five pitches, twenty two strikes. His ERA is twenty now, but. <laughs> You know, what are you going to do? I mean, that's what spring training is all about. Well, the good news out of Nat's training camp to me is Max Scherzer. Well, that yeah. That there's been no, no, not a, a scintilla of evidence that uh, he can't be 
at the top of his game. Right, and he gave up. Starts. He gave up five runs the other day, but uh, I guess it was a couple of days ago. But then alluded to after the game that you know I want to pitch in some innings, and I don't want a bunch of one, two, three innings in spring training. I. I I, I want to see how I'm handling, you know, men on base, pitching out of the stretch, all those things that come with the course of a regular season. And so, you know, I, I think the the big thing is you're getting your work in, you're staying healthy, and that's the big thing. Patrick Corbin gets a chance today uh, against the uh, Cardinals and Jupiter. So, uh, again, onward and upward. Hey, you, you were at Orioles camp for a long time. You used to go down to Orioles yeah. camp. Uh Dan Connolly wrote a piece that was really fantastic for The Athletic the other day on the death of Steve Beckler. Mm -hmm. Were you down there when Beckler died? Uh, I was not there when it happened. I did go to that spring training, you know, but I wasn't down for the whole time. Uh, It was a pretty – did you get a chance to read it? I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet. It's a long read. I mean, it must be – uh, Rutschman, the piece he did on Rutschman last year was like 40 printed pages. This was probably 25 printed pages. Uh, but it's a deep dive into how his death impacted everyone from the scout who signed him to his wife to his daughter to the parents. And uh, it's a, it was a heartbreaking time. I was not, I wasn't living in Baltimore at the time, I was down in Durham. So I didn't go to spring training those couple of years when I was in Durham. Uh, but uh, it must have been a very sad time. Well, sad. I remember even when I went down there, I mean, the, the, the entire atmosphere, mood of the camp was certainly different because of what happened a couple of weeks before I got down there. Yeah. I wonder, we're talking to Andrew Stetkin in a minute or two. I guess his dad, Bill, was the uh, PR director when that happened. Yeah, what year was that? 2003. Yeah, that was probably true. Yeah, Yeah, so maybe Andrew remembers his dad, how it impacted his dad. Uh, But we'll be talking to Andrew Stetka. Again, Mike Shallon joins us at 1045, Bill Latson at 1115, and then Ben Ryder. Craig, while we get this on, uh, while we get this on, let's uh, dust off one of these commercials. The Costas Inn, All right. 4100 North Point Boulevard, the place for crabs, crab cakes, crab soup. Um, and anything else on the menu you want. Pasta, steaks, you know, it's it's all there for you at yeah. uh, the Costas Inn. Great specials throughout the week uh, on the menu. Monday night's crab cake night. Tuesday is rib night. Wednesday is steak night with half-priced bottles of wine. Lobster night on Thursday, either plain or stuffed. And uh, just, uh, again, four or five each and every day. Four to five just fabulous menu specials that you can go in and get at the Costas Inn. And, again, if you're interested in steam crabs, you do have to call in advance and reserve them. Make sure they have them. 410-477-1975. Tell them the guys at uh, the Bataround uh, sent you over there. And joining us right now is Andrew Stetka. And we set it up that way, Craig, that we got him on the phone so he would hear us doing that commercial. Do it, right, and doing the crab could, commercial. And there's no way he can get to the Costas Inn yeah, right now. That's true. That's true. Not right now, but, uh, you know, I, every time I make it back, I try to try to get over and get some of that, that seafood that I miss so much. All right. How you doing, Andrew? Not too bad. How are you guys? This We're doing good. We're doing good here, getting uh, ready for baseball season. I uh, was just mentioning, and I know, how old are you now? You're like, uh, I will be 31 next week. You're 31, so I'm guessing this happened 
when you were about 13 or 14, Dan Connolly of The Athletic wrote that really terrific uh, long-ended, long-piece, long-form piece on the death of Steve Beckler. Was your dad the PR director in 2003 with the Orioles? I would think he was. He was, yeah. I remember it. Uh, I haven't read the piece yet. I have it actually saved on my, uh, you know, on, on my tabs on my computer to, to read uh, later today. Yeah. Um, but he, he was the PR director at the time, and I remember... I remember it pretty pretty intensely because it was it was an intense thing that happened. Yeah. Um, obviously for the family, um, but also for all the members of that organization at the time, including my dad. You know, it was a it was something that that everyone had to grieve through and deal with, um, and it was a difficult thing. It was a difficult thing for for I know him to deal with. Um, you know, he we, we we've talked about it a little bit yeah. over the years, and and all the things that that he kind of dealt with in that role. Um, of all of them, that was probably one of the the most heartbreaking and most difficult to, to go through, for sure. No question about it. And reading the piece, and I don't want to – it's not like I'm ruining. You know how it turned out. But uh, reading it, uh, it sounds like it really greatly impacted Mike Flanagan, uh, too. He was uh, he was the one sort of that took it upon himself to uh, be with uh, Steve's wife. I think her name is Katie uh, at the time. Uh, when she flew in from, uh, I think it was Utah, she was traveling with her dad to Oregon, and uh, they they got uh, a phone call, and then they pulled over to the side of the road, and then he, he dropped her at the airport in Utah, and she flew to Fort Lauderdale uh, and immediately uh, was rushed to the hospital. And it, uh, I had forgotten that Steve took about two days before he passed, and there were a couple stops and starts where things look like they might work out a little bit better, but uh, it was really a compelling piece. We're talking with Andrew Stetko on to more cheerful things in spring training. I know you're uh, 2,000 miles away or thereabouts from Sarasota. Has anything struck you in the early going so far? Um, I mean, it's spring training, so as much as spring training can, you know, can strike you in any way, I mean, I guess the, the Chris Davis thing is, is interesting to a sense, just because it, it kind of puts a narrative around, you know, where Chris Davis kind of sits within this roster and within this organization at this point. Everyone kind of knows how, how bad it's been for so many years, and um, I don't think there's really any expectation that what's going on with Davis, you know, in this past week is going to, to carry into the regular season, at least there's not on my part. Um, but I, I think it does at least give us a, an opportunity to just kind of, you know, think about Davis as, you know, a, a player in this organization that's that's one of the holdovers from, from when this team had been good in the past five, six, seven years. Um, and, you know, it, it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about what, what his role will be on a team now that is really completely turning over and, and rebuilding um, but he still, you know, with that contract, has has some kind of role in it. So um, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out throughout the season. Um, like I said, I don't expect him to to put up any kind of numbers, but you know, it's a story to at least kind of root for for, for positive things and and to hope that he can can do something. Um, I think the Adley Rushman Rushman things is also interesting, and just getting to see him in his big first big league camp. Um, and and obviously, there's just a lot of young guys like Rushman that you know are getting their first cracks at, at a big league camp and, and are going to have an opportunity to make the, make the roster out of spring training because of the, you know, the vast amount of youth on this squad in general. We were talking uh, a little earlier before we got you on the line about just, you know, 
the importance of spring training and, you know, in terms of you're looking for how people are doing and things of that nature. And we were talking, Stan and I, back and forth, and it was just health. That's the biggest thing, health. We mentioned Alex Cobb. One outing, comes out of it not feeling badly at all, likes the way it felt. Uh, and I think going forward, that's really what you have to hope for, especially in the first couple of weeks. Yeah, no question. And especially for a guy like Cobb who, you know, is, is on this contract now where you're expecting more out of him. Obviously the injuries, you know, really plagued him last season. And um, more so than anything for this squad, you know, that because of the youth on it and because of the inexperience, you're hoping for guys like Cobb to be able to eat up a lot of innings this season and get them through this season and get himself through this season healthy. Um, Cobb's one of those players that you think maybe there's a slight possibility that he, if he you know, turns in a, a good first half, maybe you could possibly trade him to a contender at the break. I don't think there's going to be too many of those guys this season for the Orioles, even though I know fans would love for, for, for any, any opportunity to trade anything at the break and get you know, prospects or, or any kind of return um so so he's uh, i guess a possibility if things go absolutely correctly but uh more so just just for him you'd like to see him get through a season healthy and be productive and and again more than anything eat up innings because that's going to be the real challenge for this squad when, when you don't have a ton of pitching and, and you have a lot of young guys who are are just getting their feet wet in the big leagues um you really want guys who can veterans who can come in and eat up innings and get you through a long 152 game season you know i'm heading down uh, this coming wednesday and i'll be down there for a week and i'll probably see him play four games uh in the week that i'm down there um one of the things i'm interested in seeing and i'm curious as to how you're thinking about this andrew is this it looks like they're trying to push the envelope at third base uh, in terms of seeing whether Renato Nunez could could hold down third base the position defensively. Um, I think they feel that he'll be a solid contributor offensively. Uh, have you noticed that, that they're playing him a little bit more at third than they have in the past? Yeah, and the other thing, too, is, you know, you just don't really know what kind of options there are at third base at this point. I mean, it's, it's all going to be young guys other than Nunez. I mean, we know that the Orioles have pretty much given up on Ryan Mountcastle there, so you know he's another guy that I'm kind of looking at as to where they're going to play. But the, the reason—that's the reason I'm alluding to the Nunez thing. To me, it's more—it's interesting that they're looking for another possible way to eventually fit Mountcastle on the major league roster. And if Nunez frees up, you know, can play seven out of ten games at third base maybe Mountcastle can get some at-bats at DH a month or two into the season. Yeah, and I think if, if Mountcastle shows that he can, can hit um, and, and can, you know, maybe reduce that strikeout rate a little bit from what we've seen in the minors, um, perhaps that is the way that they can go. But um, it's just going to be a matter of, again, similar to what I was talking about with Cobb and eating innings, there's going to be a lot of that with position players, too. You're going to have to just find guys that, can fill a role um, and and really not embarrass themselves out there, and I think there's certainly a possibility for for Nunez to be able to, to do that. Um, you know, we, we saw a little bit of production out of him last year. Um, you know, and 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 if he can go out and play third base, you know, capably at least uh, for this team and, and not embarrass himself, then that's that's certainly a possibility. 
Hey, Andrew. So we're talking about Renato Nunez, and for me, so last year for Utah Street Report, I did a, a, a opening day roster prediction. This year, I'm probably going to be doing that again. And for me, Renato Nunez is one of those guys who just kind of lifts right out. I, I think that they should be looking more at Rio Ruiz playing third base and eventually make room for Mountcastle as the DH when his – because we all know it's going to be a service clock thing with Mountcastle. I don't think that Renato Nunez has a future on this team. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that they that he's part of their long-term plans? Oh, I think you hit the nail right on the head there with, with the long-term future, but, but let's be honest. We can say that about probably more than half the players on this roster. I mean, when you look deep into you know what's going on and, and who's going to actually be on the 26-man roster when the season starts, how many of these guys are going to be around? And this is what we've kind of talked about for – for the last year and a half or so, how many of the guys that are going to be on the 26-man roster, you know, at the start of this season, are going to be on the 26-man roster in another three or four seasons? And I don't know that Nunez is that guy. I mean, he's he's still relatively young at 25 years old, but um, but you know, Austin Hayes, you know, uh, Renato Nunez, Rio Ruiz, all these guys we don't really know about for sure. So getting them playing time now and kind of just seeing what they might bring about. Um, there, there's nothing. Nothing's hurt there. Nothing. You don't hurt yourself by doing that, at least. Yeah, um, I think you just uh, you just open up more options. And and Paul, with all due respect, I disagree with you. I think Ruiz is is the guy that they're troubled by because he doesn't offer you enough offensively. And I think his defense. I think he's got one of the slowest third baseman clocks that I've ever witnessed in terms of reflex action yeah Yeah. I mean he just doesn't he doesn't seem to get the fact that he's got the longest throw and he sort of waits on balls backs up on balls and then is caught in no man's land where I'd say I saw six or seven times guys beat out infield grounders to him that should have been outs and that's that's what I saw you know, and part of it I mean, too. Part of it too comes from the double clutch too. A lot of times. double clutch is a lot. Yeah, because his his legs are out of. He's backing up, and he doesn't have the. Yeah, and it's it's the the double clutch with the take the ball. You have it, and then it's you know pounded into the glove one more time before you get rid of it. Well, and it's the case that as, as we talked about with all of these guys, whether it's Nunez, uh, you know, Anthony Santander, Hanser Alberto. I mean, hell, even Trey Mancini. We don't know where he's going to be in three years. So while Trey Mancini is the face of the club right now and probably, you know, the best offensive player potentially, you know, all of these guys are kind of playing out the string here and and eating up innings in a similar way to what we want to see from a guy like Alex Cobb and the pitching staff. Um, But are they placeholders? Are they guys for the future? Nobody really truly knows any of that. Um, These are guys that are, you know, taking the mantle right now, and, and maybe they can be guys down the road. But you also have to look at it in the sense of, you know, these players are 25, 26, 27 years old right now. In three or four years, when the Orioles hope to be competitive again, they're reaching their early 30s, and by that time you hopefully have a new young crop that are currently in the minors that are coming up and taking those places from them. So, um, you know, whether or not these are guys for the future, I don't know that that's, that's the case with any of them. Um, just from an age standpoint and from a timeline standpoint with the Orioles. We want to remind everyone we're broadcasting live from the live casino studios here in beautiful downtown Baltimore right off I-83. 
So we want to we want to remind that's everybody. That's the locale for the that's Alive the Casino Hotel Studios. Hotel yeah. Studios, right? And uh, I, you know, a couple. I want. I go back to 2007, uh, Andrew, when I was covering spring training on a six-week basis with the Nationals back then. And in, in, in camp that year, there had to be about as many players, if not close to as many, as the Orioles have, in, uh, as the Orioles have uh, right now uh, in camp. From a managerial standpoint, back then it was Manny Acta. Now it's Brandon Hyde with the Orioles. How tough is it on an organization and a manager to kind of, you know, weed through all of that in spring training? Well, the good thing about spring training is that you could get multiple games going. You can, you know, you can certainly get guys at bats in simulated games or in B games. Um, there's a lot of that going on down there, and and none of it certainly is of the the quality or the you know intensity of a of a regular season game, if you want to call a regular season game intense. Um, but you know, you can at least find you know, room for at-bats and for, for innings for pitchers to be able to throw. There's there's a lot of opportunity down there. But certainly, you know, trying to juggle a, a deep spring training-style roster, I mean, it's like training camp in football. There are a lot of bodies <laughs> yeah. and a lot of, a lot of opportunities, and, and, and you have to find opportunities for everybody to, to get on the field and get their work in. But the other thing, too, is that, you know, spring training for, for a team like the Orioles right now, it is about forming and shaping a roster, and it's about finding who, who they want to be part of that 26 guys and, and really a part of the greater 40-man going into a season. But we all know there's a lot of roster movement throughout a season, and, and all of that will kind of take, take shape as it is. The biggest thing, and, and Stan mentioned it earlier, it's health. It's about getting through this next six weeks, yeah. or now I guess five weeks, um, healthy going into the season. And that's the biggest thing, especially for a team like the Orioles, which they're not going to have a ton of depth. They're not going to have a ton of talent. You want every healthy body uh, that you can possibly have going into the season. That said, how do you think the 26th player... Well, that's uh, an interesting battle. That's an looks interesting like battle. Four, looks like four guys. Pat Vileka, uh Andrew Velasquez, uh, Cedric Mullins, and Richie Martin are really going to be, comp- I'd say, competing for that job. Your thoughts on that, Andrew? I know it's not and, the most sexy uh, battle yeah. in all Major League Baseball. And and Martin, what, three for four yesterday with uh, four uh, RBI? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, and, and, and Stan, you hit it on the head there. It's not a sexy battle. It And deep down, I mean, it matters to those guys, so I don't want to belittle it, but deep down it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things just because you, no matter who makes the 26-man roster out of, out of spring training – they're probably going to see Major League get back at some point um, in terms of call-ups and, and, and everything else throughout the season. So it's really, you know, one of the things that we saw a, a great deal of in the Dan Duquette, Buck Showalter area was the real utilization of that 40-man roster. And that's something that, you know, the Orioles are going to have to continue to do in order to not only to stay healthy and to, you know, continue to uh, try to, you know, do something in terms of the the win column this season, but uh, really just in order to get all of their guys opportunities and and get a look at as many of these guys as they can, um, who again may not be one for three four years down the road, but can at least be guys who present themselves with opportunities in these lean years, um, and can at least be ones that you know maybe present opportunities to either be part of trades or at least just at the very least eat innings and get them through these seasons 
uh, which are long and grueling. We're talking with Andrew Stetka, who writes for the Utah Street Report. We're broadcasting the bat around from the live casino hotel studio. Uh, before we let you go, and we might end with an Oriole question or two, but i got to ask you a couple Arizona questions, namely uh, the Phoenix area. It was announced yesterday that the Cardinals are going to play a game this coming season in Mexico City. Was that big news in Phoenix, around Phoenix? I've got to tell you, it's the first I'm hearing of it. So okay. that will answer evidently, that evidently not. <laughs> well, it wasn't no, big news in the Stetka household. <laughs> I was unaware of that until you just said it. Um, that's, I mean, that's cool. I know the Raiders have done that a little bit. Yep. There's certainly a there's certainly a big Mexican population down here, so that will that will certainly draw you know a lot of a lot of fans' attention. I'm sure. Well, it turns out I I never put the two and two together. They apparently leverage the league leverages when they award you a. Super Bowl, which Arizona is going to have in 2023, uh, one of the deals they make is that you have to, you know, volunteer, so to speak, that you're going to give up a home game at some point, sure. and this sure, season they're going to play. The other story I have a feeling has been a little bigger news down there, which is the uh, Madison Bumgarner, a la Mason Saunders uh, rodeo story. Uh, yeah. Your take on uh, that story? It's one of my favorite stories. It's it's an interesting one. I mean, he is certainly um, <laughs> not <laughs> wanting to talk about it, which is kind of the more interesting thing. Right. Um, I was listening to uh, the, the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney earlier this week, and he was saying how he really thinks Bumgarner should just do one press conference and and talk about you know his his alter ego, if you will, and just leave it to, at that. But it is kind of wild because Madison Bumgarner, of course, had the was it ATV accident? Yeah, yeah. It really call it really calls into question his ATV accident a couple of years ago, and you wonder did he really hurt himself on an ATV or was right. it in a rodeo uh, event? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it really it also you know it it brings up a larger question about you know players and their off season activities and what they are allowed to do or should be allowed to do in terms of, you know, I mean, we've seen, we all know that in baseball there are a number of wild, wild injuries that happen, um, and not all of them are, are because players are participating in rodeos or on ATVs or dirt bikes. Um, well, but, we, had you know, one, we had one from Johanna Cespedes when he was, what, roping, uh, tried to, trying to wrestle right. down a wild, a wild boar, boar on his ranch. Yeah, Exactly. But we also get weird ones where, you know, guys, are picking up their kid and they strain their back yep. or they, you know, drop a kitchen knife on their foot or something like that. So <laughs> in terms, but in terms of the, the, the intentional off season activities, it really does open up kind of not, it doesn't open up a can of worms. It's really a can of worms that's been open for a while, but yeah. it doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. Um, the, the Bumgarner thing is interesting down here just because he played for the giants for so many years and was such a, a rival of this, of, of the team of, of the diamondbacks as a whole. And now he's, He's come down here as a, you know, as a 30-year-old and, and is trying to kind of, I wouldn't say revamp his career because it's not like right. he's fallen off a cliff entirely, but he certainly has fallen off a bit with the injuries and things, and he's trying to get the career back on track in his early 30s. And, well, and the, now for this for this story to come out, it, it kind of makes things a little, it's a little silly to an extent, but it's also a little awkward because I, I know the team doesn't really want to talk about it. They, they were unaware of it. Right. Um, and, and he doesn't really want to talk about it because he thinks it's his own personal business and, 
and nobody else really needs to know about it. Well, it's his personal business until it affects the team, and I think we could. I think we could make the case, Andrew, you and I are are really solid reporters. That and I'm not saying the Giants wouldn't be exactly where they are now, being like kind of a bottom feeder, but they went from what looked like it was going to be a potentially downward season that year, where the his injury helped the wheels really fall off the cart. Right. No. No question. And and they've really kind of turned that entirely into what is a rebuild now. Yep. Um. And and you know who knows if he's healthy. Maybe he helps keep them at least closer to a, a 500 club and, and, a, and a more mediocre club. But instead, they could really rip the Band-Aid off and, and start to try to turn things around in a, in a similar way to what the Orioles are doing. Um, may, maybe not quite as intense and, and quite as, as torn down. But, I mean, Bumgarner's, you know, he comes and signs a five-year, $85 million deal, and then this news comes out. It's certainly a little awkward for everyone involved. Um, although Bumgarner doesn't seem to... He doesn't seem to deal with awkward. He just seems no, to brush things to, off yep. and, and, you know, kind of deal with it as it comes. All right. Andrew Stetka of the Utah Street Report, living out in Arizona, living large. We appreciate your being up so early in the morning. How's Jen and the kids? How's Jen and the kids? Jen and the kids are great. Jen and I are, are uh, actually heading out to California today for a few days to, to get away. So Good. Whereabouts? It'll be fun. Uh, we're, we're actually going to Disneyland. Oh, okay. Good I, enough. Yeah. I understand that you have a little bet that you have to pay off to Mr. Clark in the not-too-distant future. Is is that a reason to stay away from Baltimore? Uh, n- no, there's no reason to stay away from Baltimore other than, you know, other than that right now. But I am uh, I-, I will be back at some point in the coming months to to take part in that. And uh, What exactly? Now, explain explain to our listeners and, and to Craig and myself, what exactly do you have to drink? Uh, so, yeah, so as a part of the Glenn Clark Radio football picks, contest the, the the guy who finishes in last place uh, has to pay the penance and that is this season to i have to come in and dress as a shark uh and drink um shots of sardine and tuna juice off of an ice luge okay. uh, throughout the show and then i have to uh also perform uh what is it the the baby shark baby song. shark song okay let, let so me know let me know what day that happens yeah, because i'd really <laughs> like to be here for that <laughs> Yeah, everybody will be able to tune into Glenn Clark Radio. Uh, it'll probably happen at some point during the summer that I'll be coming out and, and co-hosting right. a show with Glenn and doing that. So that will be um, not fun for me, but I'm sure fun for everyone else. All right. Andrew Stetka, all the best. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. All right. want to remind you that the bat Round is presented by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps end, extend engine life. That's right. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One, and we'll tell you that some of the events coming up at the Hall at Live at Live Casino Hotel are February 29th, Squeeze, on March 14th, OAR, March 19th, Craig, you might want to take the night off, Adam Sandler will be there March 19th, Air Supply on April 3rd, Josh Groban, April 16th. Patty LaBelle on May the 2nd, Wu-Tang Clan May 8th, Jay Leno May the 15th, the 1975 on May 29th, Alice Cooper on June 21st, Gabriel Iglesias August 22nd, and so much more. There's free parking for all the events. Get your tickets for everything now by going to Live Casino Hotel 
com and let me just tell you that real barbecue and an amazing selection of whiskey and microbrews that's what you get when you come to blue pit barbecue in hamden you get the cool atmosphere and the best barbecue in the area all made fresh and smoked every single day open for lunch and open late blue pit is also great for parties and events go to bluepitbbq.com that's bluepitbbq.com for menus and directions Back with Mike Shallon in about two, three minutes. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Terps and Caps season with all the games on dozens of TVs. Sliders Daily Specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week, including Fancy Clancy Pilsner. Find out about all the parties and get info on having your own party or company event at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, one of Baltimore's original continuously operating bars. Royal Farms is known for being real fresh and real fast, but we're also real Baltimore. That's because Baltimore is our home base and our home. Like purple and black, flamingos and sunglasses, or crabs and Old Bay, our subs are real Baltimore, right down to the name. We make them fresh, delicious, and to your order, all day, every day, at a price that's easy to swallow. Royal Farms subs are another reason why Royal Farms is real fresh, real fast, real Baltimore. Check out Costa's Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. And their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-priced bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out CostasIn.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square now offers their piping hot chicken noodle and chicken tortilla soup. Shredded chicken breast with navy and black beans in a white creamy soup base with a perfect blend of vegetables and spicy heat. Topped off with seasoned corn tortilla strips, obviously perfect for cold weather. Plus, it's a great complement to the best chicken sandwich on the planet. And if you're hosting or headed to a party, pre-order from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square Catering for not only is it delicious and a fan favorite, but it smells amazing and it'll be ready when you are. Download the Chick-fil-A app, place your order, and pile up Chick-fil-A bonus points good for free food. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Call Steve if you'd like your party catered by Chick-fil-A. 410-931-0031. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior. Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, voted best sports bar 18 times, where we have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Enjoy $6.99 burgers on Mondays, $5.99 nachos on Thursdays, and other food and drink specials throughout every season to help you cheer on your favorite teams. Come in today and try something new from our seasonal menu. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. And we are back from the live Casino Hotel Studios. And uh, again, next Saturday morning, Paul Valley and I think Miles Goodman will be here. 
doing the show. I will be in Florida. And, Craig, what do you have, Maryland basketball? No, I will be at Georgetown Villanova. Okay. Is that a game that has... Is that a game that has some, I guess, Villanova? Well, Villanova Both are being pretty ranked, good. Yeah. yeah. Both are pretty good. Well, no, no. Georgetown's not very good, but uh, Villanova ranked, so. Is Maryland uh, on your docket tonight? Are Maryland you is on my docket tonight yeah. at 8 o'clock at Xfinity Center against number 24, uh, Michigan, Michigan State. State. How do you and, think that game turns out? Well, yeah, I would think that Maryland finds a way to get it done at home because they're undefeated at home, so. Okay. We will see. We'll see. Joining us happens. right now is a guy who roots for Wichita State, the Shockers. That's our friend from uh, the New Hampshire Union leader, Mike Shallon. Mike, how are you? How come you didn't ask me what I'm doing next Saturday? Uh, because it didn't impact it didn't impact oh. you hosting the show for me. I got you. Yeah, okay. okay, I was gonna I was gonna get my tires rotated, but. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> How's Wichita State doing? They were. Weren't they like seventeen and zero this year or something like that? Yeah, they got off to a good start. wasn't seventeen and zero, but they they got off to a good start. But they've got a they've got a young team, um, not great shooting, which is tough. It's a tough way to win in in this uh, era of, of basketball. Um, but they're they're doing all right. It's another twenty one season, and, and they have a. I think they have a shot at their uh, American uh, Conference tournament. Um, they had a good one over Temple the other night, so. Um, good team, not a great team, but right. um, not not one of Marshall, Greg Marshall's best. But uh, I saw them play in person. It yep. was fun. So, um, I know. And, uh, you know, I, I think they've got a you know they can make some noise if if the right things click in the uh, in the postseason. Now you're from you're originally from New York, correct? Correct. Y- yes. Yes. So sir. usually when I hear you went to Wichita State, usually when I hear stories. When somebody from the East Coast or something ends up at a place like that, and this isn't to totally demean it, but it's usually that they couldn't get in some other schools that might be mm-hmm. more geographically aligned. Like, why did you pick Wichita State to go to? Well, I mean, you're totally right about that. I couldn't get into any other school. And, and um, <laughs> you know, once I got turned down by the Ivy League, I figured it was, you know. No, I, I mean, you couldn't, get in, you couldn't get in Princeton or Yale? No, no. The, well, Actually, I turned them down. Okay, that's a, that's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right before I went to work for Forbes, by the way. But um, <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, now it, it was I was involved um, uh, in in coaching uh, coaching some kids out of New York, and the kids wound up there. And I I had started school at the in the wonderful City University in New York, which is free tuition in New York for. You know, they they talk about free tuition now, but that was free tuition then. Okay, and uh, you got what you paid for. So <laughs> I, uh, um, people ask me how I got to Wichita, and I said, "Well, I went to Chicago and made a left." <laughs> That's right. There you go. That's a good one. That's a good one. And I deserve not to ever live the Forbes uh, Forbes comment down. Now, so uh, also also demeaning my college education was kind of low too. But um, well, you know, yeah, there, yeah. You know, there yeah. goes there goes my my. Uh, I, I, uh, my reputation, I guess. Well, let me ask you this before you ever come back on our show again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm reading, obviously, with uh, David Price now gone, and uh, uh, you're, you're looking at a pitching staff up there with the Red Sox that uh, I think there's uh, certainly now, with some other injuries, a lot of question marks heading into this year. Oh, yeah. 
no question about it. I mean, they, right, they started. And sail on the DL. Yeah, sail yeah. on the DL, yeah. right. Yeah, they started the, They started camp with four starters, and sail's not ready for the opener, so that gets them down to three starters. And one of those is Martin Perez, who um, I, I mentioned him to a Red Sox fan friend of mine. He never heard of Martin Perez, but, um, you know, and plus, you know, Evaldi is, is, never a, is never a sure thing when it comes to injuries and you know, you're, you're, you're counting on uh, Eduardo Rodriguez right now at this point as and, your ace. And didn't I hear that he, didn't I hear he had some knee soreness or he landed funny well, he always, on the other knee? Always, yeah, there's always something wrong with uh, Erod. But, uh, uh, you know, listen, it, it, it's not a good situation. There's no question about it. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think they're going to score a lot of runs. I, I would think that they, their lineup is decent. Um Although Verdugo, the kid they got from the Dodgers, is also hurt. Um, is this a is this a what they call the bridge year once here in Boston? Yep. I, I compared it recently to to twenty thirteen, uh, where they were coming out of the Bobby Valentine era, if you will, the one year Bobby V and and, and uh, finished in last and went out and signed a bunch of guys and you know, guys like Shane Victorino and Mike Napoli and he turned into Turned into heroes, and they won the World Series the following yeah. year. Um, I think there's there's talent on this team in the in the lineup. There's huge questions on the pitching staff, both starting and relieving. But you know, if, if you can throw numbers at something, there are a lot of guys out there, obviously. Um, and you've got a new you've got a new manager. You still have the cloud, or potential cloud of what could come down. Um, you know, in the MLB investigation, but uh, um, you know, listen. Uh, they 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 essentially cashed in the season when they traded Mookie and, and Price to the Dodgers, which also is a repeat of 2012-2013. Yep. If you remember, the Dodgers bailed them out then, too. Uh, but, you know, right out of the gate, the Yankees have lost Severino. Paxton's on the DL. Herman is suspended. So the Yankees were supposed to, as I wrote, were supposed to win 150 games. Are already the judges hurt? Already are already looking at problems. So you know, it's, it's just like you just don't know. So, so let me ask you a question. I, I won't say that that you and I were totally stunned or shocked that Dave Dombrowski is not back with this team. But when he was let go, the fact that it was done with what six seven weeks left in the season last year, less, I think less than that, wasn't it? It might have been less. The the reason the 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 reasons that it was was done in season uh, really to me sheds a light of some kind on this. That John Henry was really more than a little miffed, and I'm I'm wondering if a uh, these are stories that I've heard that John Henry was just miffed that Dave Dombrowski let the payroll just skyrocket. B there was some type of an affair uh, with a reporter or something like that, and see that John Henry knew that this investigation was taking place and sort of said, well, he won a World Series, but it was with cheating. Uh, when you reflect back on Dombrowski being let go when he was, uh, what do you think the real reason he was let go was? Well, it could be all of the above, could be none of the above. Yeah. Really, because uh, as far as the spending is concerned, and the, uh, I haven't met the general manager yet who can sign a player without the ownership's approval. Yeah, 
um, you know, uh, it was John Henry's uh, uh, mandate to to make sure that, that they didn't run into another John Lester situation with Chris Sale. So right. they, they unnecessarily gave Sale $145 million before they had to. Yep. Um, the other contracts, you know, certainly coming off the World Series, you had every reason to think that Evaldi was worth, um, you know, the, the, the median, if you will, of what pitchers are making now. As far as the off-field stuff, I, I just don't think they got along. And, okay. and I think that something did happen, there's no question about it, to uh, to force it uh, before the end of the season. But um, uh, what it was, I don't, I don't know okay. if we'll ever know. Okay. And, and it would be a very interesting, too, that when the MLB thing does come down, and we keep hearing that it's not that serious, but if it's not that serious, why hasn't it happened yet? Right, um, right. You know, I think that Dombrowski will be swept up in the in the in the bathwater, if you will, as 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 Moonau was. I don't think that Dombrowski will be will be seen as a as a ringleader as Moonau was. Now we're hearing all the stories about the the cheating thing with the Astros going back to to 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever whatever it was, uh, Dombrowski. Uh, had to be moved when he did when he was in the eyes in the eyes of the owner. Now we also have to remember that we're dealing with an owner who, in the same sentence during the off season, says we have to get under the threshold, but we don't have to get under the threshold. So I, you know, it, it, anything that comes out of John Henry's mouth to me is confusing. You know, I, I always I always feel like he's kind of a kind of a '60s you know, space cadet kind of. You know, mm-hmm. he's almost a throwback to. When I when we were young, you know, <laughs> um, that's interesting. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get the truth. I I I, I fully anticipate not getting the truth because, as we know, you know, Kenny Rosenthal and his gang of of um, you know uh, print slash TV reporters uh, are great at what they do. And yep. I got to think that if there was something like that, it might have been uncovered by now. Mike, let me ask you this. Uh, sticking in the uh, AL East, uh, obviously we're going to have Bill Latson on in a little while to talk a little bit more about this, but just your initial thoughts on everything that's happened with the Yankee pitching staff uh, right before spring training started and now into spring training and the amount of people that they lost. And knowing that last year they suffered a ton of injuries and still won 100 games, I mean, how does that affect this club going forward? Well, you know, I've watched them a couple times this week on television. They have so many offensive players; it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, so, uh, I, I left Stanton off the list before when I was listing their injuries, but that—that's a given. You know that Stanton won't be on the field. But I mean, heck, I think he got hurt brushing his teeth this week. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, they have so much talent. You know, and even and the pitching staff. You know, I saw a suggestion the other day that that maybe they stretch Chad Green out a little bit to to move him from being an opener to being an actual starter. And then when people come back, then you can, it's easier to move a guy back to the bullpen than it is to move him into a starting rotation. No question about that. Uh, but, they, you know, I'm, I'm watching guys like, you know, Frazier, and they're playing Andujar in left field because Urshela uh, uh, played so well at third base. And there's, there's just so much talent on that team. I can't see them not winning the division, but, you know, again, do they do they test the, uh, the legitimacy again with, you know, they had 30 players on the I.L. last year. 
there's no there's no question that that uh, it was it was a pretty good story to see every time they needed somebody somebody stepped up and you know stepped in but um, you wonder if you have to do that two years in a row but they really do have a lot of talent. Uh, all kidding aside, we alluded to who is gone off of that pitching staff with uh, Price and Porcello gone and the injury to Sale. Uh, clearly, they're going to need some something to step up to start games. Is there much talk? I know you're not down there in Fort Myers, but are you hearing much in the way of buzz about who beyond that three are going to get the starts? Or are they going to go to an opener situation? How do you think they'll get through this? Well, I do think that the opener will be used. and uh, Renicky has not ruled that out. Um, uh, I, I also think they, they may go out and get a pitcher. You know, there's got, there are people, there's still guys that are unsigned. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they added another pitcher before, or if they traded for another pitcher. Right. You know, I mean, there's... There's still talk of a two or three way deal involving Bill Myers. Um, okay, you know, one thing, one thing they did with the with the the deal with the Dodgers is they they gave themselves flexibility. Mm-hmm. They are now under the cap. They can right. do whatever they want to get to make sure they don't get to two hundred eight, but or the two might be two ten this year. But um, they they um, they're going to go. They're going to get another another serviceable arm, I would think. Um, I, uh, they brought in this uh, Chris Mazza, who made some starts, uh, who started for him the other day in, in Florida. Um, you know, it, it'd be interesting. They've got a, a hard-throwing left-hander, Hernandez, who, um, uh, who throws the ball 100 miles an hour. They, they had thought of him as a starter, and then they were using him in the bullpen, and that, I think, was the plan for this year, but, but you never know. They may have to go to that again. Or... or Sale made this one start. You know, he's, he's right. recovering from uh, from a very bad cold, which is, I guess, developed into pneumonia, uh, which, uh, you know, again, with Sale, you know, like Stanton, you never know. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot, let's put it this way, there's a lot more work to be done before, uh, before uh, the 26th of March. We're talking to Mike Shallon. He writes for the New Hampshire Union Leader. He's also official scorer for the Boston Red Sox at Fenway Park. You do at least about 40 of the games, at least? Uh, so, no, somewhere somewhere between 32 and 38, depending on the schedule break. How much do you enjoy doing that? I know Jim well, Jim Henneman here loves doing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Enjoy, yeah. I guess enjoy is a good word. I mean, there's a certain amount of tension that goes with it. Yeah. Um, there, I think that in a lot of ways we're we're kind of the Rodney Dangerfields uh, of baseball. We don't get a lot of respect. You know, you can sometimes imaginary or otherwise, you can hear and see people snickering at, at calls that you make. You know, uh, you, you, when we were in New York for our um, uh, seminar, uh, Brian Kenny came and talked to us at the MLB Network, and, you know, he's got this thing called hit or error, and, and you know, basically to take shots. At, on, on the one hand, saying every, uh, everything's a hit now, uh, ranging to why is everything a hit now? It's kind of like the John Henry thing. So um, we don't get a lot of, you know, we don't get a lot of love. Yep. But it's, um, there's, um, I don't know, a certain amount of prestige, I guess, you know, uh, I've had people ask me if I'm the one, when I tell them I'm an official scorer, they ask me if I'm the guy who 
handles the numbers on the scoreboard, you know, in left field, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, you know, that's, that's a score, I guess, uh, you know, we're called scorekeepers, we're, you know, which a word that we hate, because everybody, well, we hope everybody keeps score, so it's fun, I guess, you know, but there is a, there's a certain amount of tension to it, and you can, you can also feel it when you're doing playoffs and World Series and stuff like that, because you know, you know that everybody's watching. One thing that I always that I always get a kick out of is every announcer in the world says they called it a hit. They called it an error. Right. Well, there's no they. You know, there are three of us, but we're not working at the same time. Right. right. Committee. You know, it's 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 a he. Uh, uh, you know, that bum called it a hit. Whatever you want to call right. it, but it's not it, they. We're not, a, we're, we're not a they. What gives Brian Kenny the? Uh authority if you will to uh uh come in and 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 uh lecture you guys as to everything's a hit everything everything's a hit nowadays yeah, yeah. well you know it kind of reminds me of uh, the great al mcguire um who uh, was the uh aside from hubie brown was still to this day my favorite basketball commentator and uh, it was quinn buckner was trying to coach in the nba and um i think it was quinn buckner yeah in dallas i think it was yeah and, and you know his his partner at the time asked him, "Well, you know, what do you, what do you think? What do you think it is? Uh, is it not relating to today's players? Is it this? Is it that?" McGuire said, two words: can't coach." And, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, we learned down at the seminar that Brian doesn't know all the rules, and yeah. most people don't know all the rules. You know, they, I you know one the one thing the most abuse that we take is when the player loses the ball in the sun or the lights, and it's clear that that happened. It has to be a hit. Yes. There's no leeway. There's no leeway. And, and it's been and like that from the, from the beginning of time. Absolutely. Look, look, Dick Young, one of my mentors in New York, um, <clears throat> and, and the guy that got Tom Seaver run out of New York, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> he, he always pushed for a team error. And, and while, while that was... A lot of us see that as kind of a cop-out, you know, the easy way out, if you will. I mean, when three guys converge on a ball on a pop-up in short left center field, and then they all look at each other and the ball falls, why should the pitcher get punished for that? Um, so, you know, there's a lot of little things in the rules. It's not perfect. There's no question about it. But um, so far, there's nobody talking about replacing us with automation, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Mike, um, just one of the more humorous things to me is in, in discussing the Houston Astros cheating scandal is these players that come out and suddenly are, are sort of feeling sorry for players whose careers were ruined by this. Mm. Uh, and then you have this uh, lawsuit by Mike, Mike Boltzinger, uh, who had a 5-6-8 ERA going into that game career-wise, I think, yeah. uh, and as if that, that somehow put the nail, the last nail on his coffin. Uh, your thoughts on some of that? Well, you know, there's also fans who are suing for misrepresenting the team, misrepresenting themselves or whatever. It is. I, well, yeah. I've lost track of all of them. Yeah. But, um, it's unfortunate, you know, but um, then again, we, you know, there's a guy – pop out of the steroid era, a pitcher who never used stuff, does he start suing for, you know, losing his livelihood because he was facing maybe up to eighty percent of the hitters who were on something. So um yeah. I think you I think you gotta file it under the 
the frivolous lawsuit uh, category, that's but uh, right again, where I'm fi- that's right where I'm filing it. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, and 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 we on this show understand frivolous. Let's be honest. So, um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I just I just think I just think that that what we can't underestimate here is what happens to an athlete when he loses his career. Yeah, um, you know the devastation of you know most of these guys, and ninety nine percent of them were the were, were complete stars from high school on, even mm-hmm. earlier than that. And all of a sudden, bang, it's taken away from you. And, you know, people say, well, you know, why would this guy come back when he's got all the money in the world? Why would he put himself through this? Because the desire to compete is overwhelming in, in, in an athlete. There's no question about that. And I, so from that standpoint, I understand the frustration. But from a legal standpoint, I don't think it really—I um, don't think it can really go anywhere. One one question I have for you before we let you go, uh, on a more serious note now, uh, the yep. the players that are jibing at the commissioner, Trevor Bauer, Justin Turner, Nick Markakis, how much do you think the commissioner's decision to not go after players individually with any type of suspension? was born on the assumption that he made that if he did go down that route, the MLB Players Association was going to full bore use their power to really fight it tooth and nail. And I'm, that's my way of asking a roundabout question. Aren't these players sort of talking out of both sides of their mouth? Complete chaos. Yeah. It would have been, it would have been complete and utter chaos. If he started suspending players, first of all, who do you suspend? Right. You know, I mean, do you suspend everybody on the Astros in 2017? You know, the, the, the Mets traded for, for Marisnik. They have J.D. Davis. There are, there are Astros on other teams. Uh, Fires, the whistleblower, I think, did a right. tremendous job. I have no problem with what he did, but he's still part of it. Yep. Uh, Completely ridiculous. I thought the, I thought the commissioner handled it just right. Yep. Uh, I, you know, you hear people screaming, "Well, they only find them five million dollars." Well, that's the max. He's that's not the allowed max to he's allowed to. Yep. There are rules, you know. And uh, I thought the commissioner did a tremendous job. He made the he made the slip up of calling the trophy a yeah, piece of metal, which you know he apologized for. Yeah. You know that that getting upset about stupid things like that. Um, you know, I, I appreciate. What some you know, the players' right to say it, but he has just as much right to turn around and suspend them for saying it. If you want to be, I, I can't imagine Roger Goodell putting up with with uh, with quotes like that. But um, no, the, the, the entire baseball world would have been turned upside down if he started suspending players in this. Let me ask you this: uh, We're a week into spring training games as of today, uh, and. There have been seven Astros plunked so far. Uh, yeah. Is this going to continue, or what do you what, what's your take on that? I can't believe it's happening. Um, you know, but uh, it, it does, you know, again go back to Jake Marisnik. Did yeah, the, did the Mets pitchers plunk him during batting practice and spring training? It's crazy. You know, let it go. You know, and I understand. I understand people's frustrations. Uh, having watched. Uh, Altuve hit the home run off Chapman last year. Who the heck sits on a on a breaking pitch from Rodgers Chapman? That 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 to me is now. I know that they haven't found, been found guilty of anything since 2019. But why would I, you're standing there against a guy who can throw a ball 101 miles an hour through the back of your head? 
and you're sitting on a breaking pitch outside that you hit 420 feet, um, you know, let it go. You know, let it go. And and uh, I don't think I don't think that they will let it go. But a couple of uh, strong suspensions, which I think you should be suspending people for throwing at anybody for any reason. Yeah, yeah. I agree um, with you. You know, I, I just I just think that it has put a. Uh, a haze over this the start of this season, no question about it. And you're gonna, you know, you're gonna see a hockey game break out. Even though there's not much fighting in hockey anymore, but um, I think there will be incidents. Hopefully, they'll 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 come and go quickly. Uh, I don't want, you know, obviously you don't want to see anybody get hurt. Yep. No question about it. But uh, and fortunately for the Astros, they don't go to Yankee Stadium until the last week of the season. Oh, good for them. Good for them. Hey, Mike Shallon, thank you so much for joining us. We'll touch base with you in a, several weeks, all right? Uh, enjoy Florida. All right, will do. I'll say hi to Peter Schmuck for you. Absolutely. All right, take care, Mike Shallon. All right, there he is, Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader. And his columns are kind of a throwback. Uh, they're A lot of them are online now uh, rather than in the paper. And uh, he just really uh, has so much information crammed into his columns. Well, he's been Mike, doing it a long time. <laughs> he has been. Has been. A former Wichita State shocker. Okay. We'll call uh, Bill Latson now to make, uh, make his way into the show. We'll let you know that uh, we are broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studios. And we'll tell you that Real Barbecue and an amazing selection of whiskey and microbrews. That's what you get when you come to Blue Pit Barbecue in Hamden. You get the cool atmosphere and the best barbecue in the area, all made fresh and smoked every day. Open for lunch and open late. Blue Pit is also great for parties and events. Go to bluepitbarbecue.com. That's bluepitbbq.com for menus and directions. We'll also let you know that the batter round is presented by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. Craig, uh, why don't you do the honors of introducing our next guest? Do I have to? No. All right. No, I will do that. <laughs> he is a very good friend of mine, and uh, this program. That's your opinion. Well, he may not feel that yeah, way, but I'm, you know, I, I know do. he anyway. doesn't. I've talked to him. All right, that. sounds good. Yeah, uh, he's not told me that though. But, but you know what? You know what? He did call me one day on the phone after one of our big blowouts, right. and he said, "Do you want to end the friendship now? We can do it." <laughs> and, I, and I was like, <laughs> was, I was like, he was hopeful. He had his fingers crossed. He was hopeful. You know, I thought to myself, I said, you know, I can't let him off. Yeah, I, I can't let him off the hook that easy. Right? Exactly. <laughs> he is Bill Latson of MLB.com. Good friend of mine. We uh, cover the Nationals uh, since the inception, and uh, we uh, spent a lot of close years uh, together covering that team. Bill, good morning. How are you? You and Greg, Craig. Craig, how you doing? I'm all right. Uh, hey, can I ask you both a question? I just want to. I just want to know if Bill can pitch. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> huh? If you if you can pitch, you may be able to help out the Yankees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Isn't that something? Severino, uh, um, unbelievable. Uh, you know, Craig. And you heard. A, and you heard about Garrett Cole this morning, didn't you? He stepped no, off I the cur- He stepped off the curb in Tampa. Oh, you see, you're joking, right? Yes. Yeah, he's joking. <laughs> I just said he stepped off. I said he stepped off the curb. 
Yeah, I didn't say but, he but, turned but, his but ankle. When you, tell, when you tell us he stepped off the curb, we're thinking broken I ankle. I was thinking over you know? only Latson. I was thinking of. Go ahead. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you, though, um, I told you this before. I, I just think uh, Garrett Cole is not the only person the Yankees have to rely on. They, they have to get four other starters. And you hope that guys like uh, Jay Happ, you know, can get the job done. And now uh, Jay Happ is his last start. Now, this is spring training. He did well. But, I mean, I wanted him to do it all season. So, uh, you know, uh, Stan, you talked about Loisica. I mean, again, wait and see, man. I, you hope the Yankees can survive. I mean, they're not doing well. We're talking to Bill Latson. He writes for MLB.com. Guys, uh, last night I'm watching a game late late last night between the, was it San Diego and the Cubs? Yeah. And they were interviewing somebody, a coach for the Cubs, and it turned out that he was the last, he made the last out in Montreal Expo history. Do you remember, Bill Latson, who that was? Well, he's with the Cubs now? He's a, he's a coach with the Cubs. I'm thinking maybe uh, Andrew Fox. I'm not, I'm not nope. sure. I'm not sure who that is. Tur- Termel Sludge. Sledge. Sledge. Well, he played with the Nationals. He made the last yeah. out. He made the last out in Montreal Expo history. Wow! Isn't that interesting? Not, and yeah. then he made a point of saying, "And I remember who the pitcher was, but I don't remember who the pitcher." He didn't yeah. say who the pitcher was. Wow! I mean, he was a. Uh, he was a pretty good hitter. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he got injured in, with the Nationals. Yeah, right. And he was never the same. He pulled the hamstring. I remember. He's the and uh, he tore a hamstring, I should say, and uh, he, he was never the same. I think he's the batting instructor for the uh, Chicago Cubs. Yes, he's the co. Like he's co. The yeah, the co- yep. batting coach. Yes. Yep. Uh, Bill um, Craig alluded to one of the topics we wanted to talk about was the. Uh, the Yankees pitching, I wanted to jump over into talking about the Astros and forget on the field what's going on. Any surprise to you that when they go into a visiting park so far, they are getting bombarded with booze, people are pulling trash cans over and are banging the trash cans. Uh, The reception that the Astros have gotten and what they expect to get this season, this isn't going to end anytime soon, is it? I don't think so, uh, Stan. Um, especially, you know, they won a championship in 2017, and everyone is saying that was the year that they cheated. So, no, no, it's not going to end. And, and you know what? I got to tell you, Dusty Baker is is in a tough spot right now because, I mean, you cannot expect the player, I mean, the, the fans, not to say anything, not to do anything. There's going to be some nut out there. That's going to, you know, do something stupid. I hope not, but uh, you just never know. But I got to tell you guys, um, I don't know. I don't think the Astros realize what they're in for. It's going to be. Uh, it really is going to be a rough season. Uh, we asked this last week, but the games hadn't just quite started yet. Do you think Dusty Baker is still the right guy at this point in his career that he can kind of? weather this storm because I think the thing we can't forget yes they may they they definitely cheated but they're still a pretty good ball club there yes they are and the answer is yes I think he can still uh 
got a team like this that's in turmoil. I mean, there's something about Dusty Baker. I don't know what it is. He's always cool, calm, collected. And somehow, you know, he brings order into the clubhouse. So I'm expecting the same thing to happen this time. Um, I expect them to go to the playoffs again. Well, I think that's a lot of that has to do with the fact that he has seen it all and done it all and uh, has been in a lot of different situations, both as a player and a manager. Uh, and, and you know, I, we saw it with the Nationals, Bill. I mean, he, you know, obviously there were a lot of times where that clubhouse could have gone south and, you know, they didn't, he didn't let it happen. Right. There was a year, Craig, I think that was his second year. Yeah. He didn't have a, he didn't have a bullpen. But somehow he managed to win that division. And unfortunately, they lost in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, Dusty Baker did a great job that year because he didn't have a bullpen. Pretty much. Bill Latson, our guest. Bill, uh, I know we talked to you a little bit about it last week. You were out in Kansas City. Um, but could you talk a little bit more about the Negro League uh, Baseball Museum and before, out in Kansas City? And before you do, I just want you to know, so you're not bugging me later today, to like and share the story. I did post it last night on my I saw it, Craig. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> it, but, but uh, yes, um, the reason I've been writing a lot of Negro League stories lately because it's the 100th anniversary that the Negro, the Negro Leagues was formed, 1920, February 13th, 1920. And uh, i got to tell you, though, their curator, um, Bob Kendrick, I tell you, that guy can really tell some stories. I saw him yesterday, and uh, I think he's the reason that the uh, Negro Leagues are alive and well. He knows he knows all the stories. He's not like he's an old man. The, the guy's like in his late 40s. So um, I, I had fun covering it, and um, I think there's going to be a lot of things going on with the Negro Leagues. You know, they're going to wear the Negro League uniform sometime in June. Everybody, and uh, it's going to be fun to watch. So much history, uh, and that's a now. Now, Stan, I'm to the point where I'd like to get out there to Kansas City and see the museum. Uh, but uh, we remember Buck O'Neill. I had a chance to see him quite a bit uh, while he was still living, and 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 me going around to different ballparks and things of that nature. You would run into him occasionally. A uh, fascinating man. Bill, did you ever get a chance to sit and talk with him? Yes, a couple of times. Uh, and, yes, he has a lot of stories to tell. You, you know, the most fascinating thing about him and all the other Negro League players is that they're not bitter. They're not bitter at all. I mean, as far as the way segregation was back then, you know, they weren't allowed to play Major League Baseball. And, and I got a hand to him. I mean, there's no yelling and screaming, nothing against the white man or anything. So uh, I think that's amazing in itself. Is it still viewed? Is it still viewed as relevant? The Negro League Baseball Museum, Bill. Oh yes. Oh, oh are you kidding? Yeah, I mean, for the last uh, few years, uh, the Players Association and Major League Baseball has have donated money to the place. So I mean, it's received a lot of recognition because. Basically, a major league baseball. I mean, anytime they have ceremonies, when I was in Kansas City, uh, for example, the commissioner was there. Right. So it's a big deal now, and uh, I mean, compared to what it was in 2001, because I went to one of their dinners, 
in 01, it was nothing compared to what it is now. I mean, I mean, uh, Bob Kendrick is now traveling all over the place because of the two uh, entities, I mean, the Players Association and Major League Baseball. So, I'm telling you, man, it's, it's uh, really come a long way. Talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com, and uh, we are into uh, the exhibition season. And Stan and I were talking to uh, uh, Mike Shallon a little while ago, and I was asking Mike. We were we were touching on different aspects of the Astros situation, uh, but uh, you're 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 seven games in essentially, one week into spring training games, and are you uh, surprised that seven players have been hit already? <laughs> no. No, I'm not. And uh, but but I gotta tell you, though, it's gonna be interesting, especially when the season starts. Yeah, because uh, you know the the commission's already said, "Hey, don't even attempt to hurt these players." So you know, we'll see uh, what happens. But well, it's funny. Uh, it's you- funny you say that because Chris Davis was asked about this in Orioles camp yesterday, and uh, he he basically said, you know. The course of the regular season, it'll police itself. Yeah, yeah I th- I liked his comments on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Davis has come a long way, huh? Yeah, well, like. so far, yeah. Let's see how it goes from here. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't look like he's out of this, but uh, you, you know, I you know, I saw him the last few games, and we get the games here, and uh, he looks pretty good so far. Yeah. Well, well, again, that's that's going to be a work in progress throughout the spring, and then you know, see what happens. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the season and whether he can carry that over and then some other things play into it, like, you know, what is his playing time doing to other guys that the Orioles might want to look at? Uh, a lot of that's still to be determined. But, you know, if if you know anything about Chris Davis, he's a good dude and you'd really like to see him succeed and put the last two to three years behind him in particular and and have a little bit of success, if nothing else, from a from a mental aspect, because Stan and I both believe that a lot of his issues and struggles over the last few years are between the ears, and uh, you're just hoping he can figure it out and and get back to being you know somewhat of what he used to be. And I think the Orioles would take that. Are you thinking driving the runs? Yeah, with the home runs like he did a few years back. Wow, man! I mean, the, the team could go a long way. Yeah. Bill, uh, looking around, and I know you haven't traveled uh, to spring training yet, as far as I'm aware of, but I'm sure you're up on all of them. Who look? Who looks like the top few rookies? I mean, I know Adele with the Angels probably will make that team out of training camp, won't he? Yeah, he, he probably would. Uh, Joe Adele. I, I think, yeah, yeah, he can. Uh, he can be an impact, um, big time. So we'll see what happens, and uh, I tell you, I hate to talk about rookies at this time because, yeah, they look good in uh, spring training, but you know when the regular season starts, you know you hope they have this kind of season that P. Alonzo had. So we'll see what happens. So here's a question, Bill, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad by talking about Luis Severino's injury. This is a guy who had trouble last year, right? Was injured Correct. most of the season. The season ended. He did get back in time to pitch a little bit in September. Um, right. And then the offseason goes by, and I'm not saying that the Yankees didn't examine him during the offseason. In other words, when exactly did this tear 
the uh, UCL tear take place that they couldn't have known about it and maybe operated on them in October? Yeah, well, they claimed it happened uh, the last uh, his last game against the Astros during the playoffs. That's okay. when he started feeling feeling pain. But I guess he didn't think it was serious. It wasn't like it was in his elbow. It was in his uh, forearm. Okay. And, uh, I, and I guess the way things were going during the off season, he was okay. Yeah, it just and, seems it like that's good. a. It seems like that's a valuable amount of time, like five months. And it's a valuable commodity to not do due, due diligence after the season is yeah. over with. If you're the Yankees, what? to make damn sure that it's nothing. Yeah, more serious. it just seems like it's it's yeah. it's bad but, all but the way know, around, you know. But but you know, I'm not defending the Yankees here, but you gotta remember what they went through. You know, they they changed their uh, medical staff big time, right? Because of what happened last year. So I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, you know, you know, that's up to Severino to say, hey, look, my arm is hurting. He should have said something in right. In, yeah, yeah. Right in after November. the season, it's, right it's at, on yeah. him. I, that, he, it's on him on that. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just really a shame because now when this is an injury, almost unlike any other injuries in sports, that you're going to miss a lot when it the the timing is such that it is. There's no question he's going to miss this year, and he's most likely going to miss the first two or three months of next season. So yeah. it's really a law. It really impacts a fairly high percentage of a career, you know. And in, it affects that, and it also affects how the Yankees handle going about their roster uh, to to fill one position, maybe even a few more, because of this injury. So you know, again. Uh, they they always seem to do a really good job of getting players. And, you know, we talked to Mike Shallon. I asked him how, what he thought about the Yankees and, and what they're going to have to do pitching-wise. He goes, you know, they're going to have to do a good bit. But when you look at it from a standpoint of offense, he says, we, we, we get the games up here, meaning in New England. And he says, and I've seen them a couple times, he says they're so deep in terms of offensive players, Bill, that it might be a lot like last year. You have a ton yeah. of injury, You have a ton of injuries, but you just wind up, outscoring people, but then when the playoffs roll around, you know that doesn't really work. No, no. And then my, my concern also is, since you're losing these starters, uh, I mean, you have two major starters already in half as well. Yeah. And, you, you know, my, my concern is that the bullpen is going to be overworked again. I hope that's not the case, but we saw what happened last year with Adovino. By the time the season ended, that dude was overworked. He couldn't get anybody out. You, so you, you hope that uh, the stars can come through in a major way. We'll see what happens. You you know much about prospect Clark Schmidt, who's already had Tommy John surgery previously in his minor league career. You know much about him? I do not. Okay. He's an interesting guy to keep an eye on as this season develops. Bill Latson, many thanks for being on with us. Uh can you do the show next week? Neither Craig or I will be here, but Paul, our uh, producer, and someone else will be hosting. Can we pencil I'll you in? I'll be there. All right. I'll be there. Thank you, Bill. You got it, man. We'll talk Take to care. you soon. Have a good week. You too. He's um, happy. He's happy that I won't be on the show next yeah, week. It sounded like he was not. Didn't miss a beat. Didn't that miss I'm a beat. Not, no, that I'm not going to be here either. <laughs> hey. I want to talk to you for a minute before we get to Ben Ryder about Glen Burnie Transmissions. They're located right in the heart of Glen Burnie. 
been there for almost 60 years. If, if you suspect you're having a transmission problem, GBT can save you hundreds of dollars over taking it to the dealers for repair. Make an appointment for a free diagnostic and estimate. Call GBT at 855-728-1841. Their mission is simple, to provide excellent service at a reasonable price. Go to their website at gbtonline.com to check out all the five-star reviews. Let my friend Mark Schwartzman and his GBT team take the troubles out of transmission troubles. Call them today at 855-728-1841. Very quickly, we need to get Shallon back on the phone. Why? Well, because there, he posted something on his Facebook page that's, and, and about 45 minutes ago, so yeah. it was right before he came on with us. Did anyone hear what sounded like howling coyotes around 11 o'clock last night? Now, I, I really want to know what's behind this. <laughs> Well, you'll find out in a couple weeks. Yeah, I guess so. Unless you want to call them off the air. No. <laughs> hey, the latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover. Bill Ordean dives into the future of sports betting here in the state of Maryland with the push for legalization having already played out in neighboring states. Plus, our annual college lacrosse outlook as we get to know the area's top men's and women's players, including Johns Hopkins, Joey Epstein, and Maryland's Brindy Griffin. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Ben Ryder joins us in about three minutes. Okay, I'm getting an Italian cold cut with oil and vinegar. Turkey and Swiss with extra mayo for me. And I want a ham and cheese with everything. Before we go to the game, we go to Royal Farms. It's not football without a Royal Farms sub. At Royal Farms, it's all fresh. And delicious. In this town, you don't tailgate with a hoagie. You tailgate with a Royal Farms sub and world-famous chicken. Royal Farms. Real fresh. Real fast. Real Baltimore. Check out Costa's Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. And their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-priced bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out CostasInn.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bill Ordine dives into the future of sports betting here in Maryland with the push for legalization having already played out in neighboring states. Plus, our annual college lacrosse outlook as we get to know the area's top men's and women's players, including Johns Hopkins' Joey Epstein and Maryland's Brindy Griffin. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Terps and Caps season with all the games on dozens of TVs. Sliders Daily Specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week, including Fancy Clancy Pilsner. Find out about all of the parties and get info on having your own party or company event at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, one of Baltimore's original continuously operating bars. 
Catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, voted best sports bar 18 times, where we have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Enjoy $6.99 burgers on Mondays, $5.99 nachos on Thursdays, and other food and drink specials throughout every season to help you cheer on your favorite teams. Come in today and try something new from our seasonal menu. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. He is Mr. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? He is Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. You bet, guys. How you guys doing? Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. Jalen Stick-Smith. Thanks for having me. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. And if you have tuned in the show, we're broadcasting from the live casino hotel, and we remind you if you're partaking of the show on Facebook Live to please like and share the show. Uh, Stan the Fan and Craig Heist with the bat around. And joining us now is somebody we had back on under vastly different circumstances about a year ago on the show. Uh, he's the author of Astro Ball, one of the uh, best baseball books I've ever read about the Astros' build up to the championship. But it may need a new chapter uh, added to that book. We'll talk to the writer, the author, Ben Ryder. Ben, thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. You know, the subtitle of Astro Ball is The New Way to Win It All. <laughs> now, clearly, part of this new way to win it all was one that uh, I was unaware of, that everybody was unaware of until recently. And it's kind of interesting as far as how uh, the recent revelations about their science skilling fits in with the overall scheme and their program to lift themselves from the worst team in baseball, to champions. Let me ask you the key question that I think people are are sort of not taking in or swallowing correctly, is this was still, despite the fact that they cheated, this was a pretty damn good baseball team, weren't they? Right, and you know, that's kind of, you understand why so many people are so angry out there and kind of write off the whole program and say this was a fraudulent organization, nothing they accomplished was real, uh, there's no good in what they did. That's fair, based on their offenses, but I think it's more complicated than that. I think that this is an organization that is the most innovative in sports in so many ways, as far as player development, player evaluation, uh, focusing on a process. The thing that stuck out for me always was that this is an organization, because it was always more than a sports team, it was almost like a Silicon Valley tech startup, it was an organization devoted to finding the edge, the competitive edge, in every single thing that it could, right? That was the only way they thought that they were going to improve their fortunes, at least uh, relatively quickly. It's not so hard to think that perhaps this seeking of the edge went too far, in this in this area um maybe it was cultural maybe it was you know that innovative spirit that allowed them to weaponize these kind of conventional practices to a level that no other organization ever had before but it's all part of the same picture i don't think 
that science feeling cancels out all of their accomplishments, um, it certainly colors them, and I do understand why some people just write them off forever. I don't, I don't think it's uh, diminished uh, that aspect of it and the way that team was built, but one thing I wanted to ask you, how have you personally kind of digested what's happened over the last few months, you know, when, when everything started to come out? Well, I was probably uh, as surprised as anyone about the initial revelations, given all the time that I'd spent with the organization, writing about the organization for so many years. Um, I never saw a thread of this sort of activity in any specific way. I guess the way I've been digesting it is the way I just said, you know, like it fits in with the organizational culture. They were disruptive innovators, right? Like they're, they're goal was to move fast and break things, which was Mark Zuckerberg's early slogan at Facebook. Mm, yeah. and look, I, I think it just went too far, uh, probably for a variety of reasons. I don't think there's like one smoking gun here. We could say this is when it happened. Um, and actually, the process by which that occurred is what I'm now going to be spending the next several months working on uh, to try to untangle. I wanted to uh, reference that. Uh, you sent us a press release that, uh, and this is not the reason you came on specifically, but you do want to get the word out about this. A company called Cadence 13 is a podcasting company is launching a new sports documentary podcast franchise, season one to explore the Houston Astros sign ceiling scandal. Did you find Cadence 1 or did K? Excuse me. Did you find Cadence Thirteen, or did Cadence Thirteen seek you out as the right guy to dig into this story? <laughs> A bit of both, I think. Like I personally have been so attached to this story since 2014, when I wrote that initial cover story for Sports Illustrated, predicting that what was then still the worst organization in sports would win the World Series in 2017. You guys know that whole story sure. by now. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, in one way, it's like a journalistic calling. Mm -hmm. I wrote this story. Obviously, I missed something. So all I can do is go back and figure out why, what I missed, why it happened, and what it means. Uh, so, you know, this is a, obviously a great way to do this. But it is also on some level a personal one, right? I mean, yeah, I was personally wrapped up in this, at least in the public view. And uh, I want to go back I have personal motivations, too, to go back and get the story right. A lot of people here in town in Baltimore are wondering, and that question, of course, has been raised since all of this came out, was what, if anything, uh, did, uh, you know, did, did Sig and also uh, Mike Elias. Elias have to do with this? And, uh, you know, the, the, the quick... Uh, answer for me is well you know a lot of that was player development on their end and 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 trying to you get mean the, the two of them were involved right. in player development two, not. you're right two of them were involved in player development and building that team and helping build that team uh and and to this point they haven't been implicated in anything so I, i'm i'm assuming there's nothing to worry about there i don't think so you know i, I would be surprised if those two, given their job functions, given the way the organization was structured, it was pretty siloed, right? Like people had worked in really distinct departments and on distinct programs. I would certainly be surprised. I think that they were devoting their energies throughout to things that are probably much more applicable to the Orioles, 
path right now as far as building the team from the ground up, doing that the right way as far as talent evaluation and player development. But I guess I'll say, like, one of the tragedies of uh, when something like this happens is that nobody kind of gets out of there without any shadow of a doubt, right? So right. I'm sure that, that Sig uh, and Mike will be dealing with that, even though they haven't been directly implicated in any way at all. I mean, it is hard to imagine that a Mike Elias or Sig, Sig Maydell didn't hear trash cans banging. And I'm not saying that that automatically means that signs are being stolen, but it's hard to imagine that they didn't sort of sense something crazy was going on. And it was not part of their job responsibilities because they both were more in the player development end of things. You know, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's hard to imagine or not. You know, yeah. Especially in 2017, they were not at every game. Yeah. Obviously, you know, there are fans, beat reporters there every – like there are people there every game who really did not know or else we would have known about it before now, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of one of the most amazing parts of the entire scheme is that it did seem in retrospect to be like so clunky and obvious and yeah. so almost laughably low tech for exactly that is so innovative and yet like nobody knew except for i guess a few opposing teams had some general idea but certainly nobody uh, outside the clubhouses or dugouts seemed to have known unless they were clued into it hey i go back i go back to the late a uh, friend of mine was director of broadcasting with the Oakland A's, and I wasn't married at the time. So I used to go out to San Francisco every summer, and I would spend a lot of time around the Oakland A's. And I was there in the batting cage, you know, by the batting cage, when Conseco and McGuire were these two gigantic people. I'd never seen any players that big. <laughs> and a few years later, when it all broke, I felt like an idiot, like saying, I didn't, I mean, but, but nobody knew at the time. Right, yeah, I guess it's very easy to, like, draw the bullseye around where the target's already been hit, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah. in retrospect, you can look back and be like, oh, of course that's what it was. Right. Of course. But at the time, especially if, you know, you don't have any reason to think this is happening, like, it would take some seriously unusual powers of observation and sensory perception to have put this thing together um, unless you were really right in the thick of it. You know, uh, I want to get into Cadence 13 and this um, documentary your documentary podcast you're going to be working on, but I did want your opinion on one fallout from this thing that I find really fascinating is that so many little leagues are, are not allowing teams to be named the Astros. I don't know if that will be permanent or for a year or two, but your thoughts on what that says about the teachable moment here for kids. I, uh, I guess what I would say is there is a lot to learn, more than I even knew yeah. about what the Astros did, right? Like a lot to learn about committing to a process, um, discipline, kind of, you know, cutting human bias and things out of your decision-making on some level. But now they've also emerged as a cautionary tale about what happens when it goes too far. And I would certainly understand any Little League <laughs> who wouldn't want their kids kind of flying that banner or putting that name across their chest, at least in the near term. All right. Ben Ryder is our guest. Ben, tell us a little bit 
about how this story will play out in podcast form. Uh, in other words, will you will you try as just as if you were a writer writing a book to talk to Jeff Lunau, to talk to AJ Hinch, to talk to uh, Alex Cora and uh, Carlos Beltran? Are you going to try to talk to the participants in this? You know, as I said, uh, I've been in the midst of this story for six years now. Right. Um, I've gotten to know a lot of the key players, uh, a lot of the key figures, I should say. So yeah, I'm going. Um, this is a reporting project. Yep. I'm going to try to talk to everybody that I know, people I don't know, uh, tell this story I, with a nuance, with a depth, with new revelations, with a context. Very crucially, uh, that has not so far been done, and that will involve talking to a lot of people. Um, and also kind of widening the scope, both narrowing the scope on exactly what they did and widening the scope to understand why it happened and what it means uh, for baseball, for culture, for business, really, because their story is not so different in some ways from a lot of innovative organizations in other industries that turned out to have an unexpected dark edge. And really, like, you know, probably going to be six episodes. Uh, that is the amount of time that, that, w- that it will take to really tell this multi-levered, multi-layered, fascinating story uh, in the way it should be told. The fallout on the field, at least early on, almost everywhere they've gone in spring training, they have been booed mercifully. Unmercifully. Uh, unmerc- yeah. And, and, and uh, from that standpoint, uh, can we expect that to continue throughout the season to what ballparks they go to? And also, there have been seven players as of a day ago who have already been hit by pitches intentionally or not. And that's certainly something I can see playing out during the course of the year. Yeah. I mean, look, baseball now has its villains in one way. It's ironic, you know, like Rob Manfred, since he became commissioner has been trying to figure out a way to uh, allow baseball to break out of its kind of regional coverage to be the top sports story of the day. Uh, to, to top the NFL and the NBA in the way that it used to. I don't know if he would have picked this, but one of the, well, I know he wouldn't have picked this, I should say, but one of the ways uh, that those other sports draw such attention is through conflict, through rivalry stories, through heroes and villains. Baseball now has certainly the latter part of that equation, and yeah, I think it will continue throughout the season. Do I think they'll be thrown at? No, I'm, I think that's probably overstated a bit. I think if you probably go through those seven hit-by-pitches, a lot of them were, you know, bad breaking balls by guys who didn't have good feel yet, who probably wouldn't make the big league team because those are the guys who are pitching at this point in the year, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they might get plunked a few times for sure. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about uh, this project you're working on with Cadence 13. I- am I right in saying, and I guess Cadence 13 is kind of cutting edge, you know, I'm used to podcast stories, and again, I'm not a huge follower of podcasters, a podcast, Ben, but like the, the famous one that started this whole thing, the murder the murder case. Serial, here, yeah. Serial. Uh, is this one of the first ones that's really taking something that's out of the immediate headlines and digging into it? And along those same lines, so when will we hear the first you know, the first um, uh, edition of this. We're aiming for summer. It will certainly be this baseball season. The plan is this summer. And, yeah, you know, I'm working with 
the producers of the very popular podcast, Slow Burn, which kind of looks at historical events, specifically in this case, Watergate, the Bill Clinton impeachment, finds new angles, tells these stories that the public thinks they know very well uh, in new ways and kind of makes them a little more nuanced and shows that they're a little more complicated than people thought. This is obviously a much more recent event than Watergate or the Bill Clinton impeachment, but we're going to take the same approach to teasing out exactly what happened and what it means. What's, what's fascinating about this project to me is like to look back on Watergate and Bill Clinton, the people that were intensely interested at the time have grown a lot older. Some of them are not the kind of people that are going to be going to the Internet for, you know, finding a podcast, whereas this story is telling something that's almost fresh out of the headlines. It seems right. like it's really kind of uh, breaking the mold of the podcast. Well, you know, it, it'll, be a, it'll be a fantastic project, I think. And really, like, I think, I guess what I'll say as a final teaser is the story is being told in a very black and white uh-huh. sort of way, right? The Astros are the villains. Everybody else uh, has been offended by what they've done. And there certainly is that element. Sure. But there is just so much more to this story uh, than we know right now. Your opinion, do you think that um, Hinch, Lunau, Cora, Beltran work in the game again? I think the, I think the one person on that list who will have the hardest time is probably Jeff Luno. Yeah. Um, but, you know, never say never. He's clearly, he changed the game, no matter if he comes back or not. He changed the business, I guess I should say, of baseball. Uh, And he's somebody whose talents can be applied to all sorts of different areas. Maybe he'll pursue those, or maybe he wants to come back in. I think it's too early to tell, but he is probably the one who will find the most difficulty as far as returning to the sport. One last thing about the actual story. So about three weeks ago, word came out that this uh, Codebreaker, Operation Codebreaker or whatever, was mm-hmm. actually formulated by this intern or quasi-intern for the Astros. Has right. that person been punished at all? No, he's still part of the team. He's still part of the front office, actually. And look, I I think it was a, a logical move by Marab Manfred to be like, look, we, it's not it's not feasible to punish every individual right. person who is involved in this. The responsibility for this lies in the executive office, and those are the guys who uh, really have borne the brunt of this, and I, I think that that's probably fair. Last question I have for you, Ben. Actually, two more. Last, okay. uh, but, but let me start with the one that's about what's, what I'm finding offensive is Justin Turner, Mike Trout, uh, Trevor Bauer, uh, Nick Markakis popping off at the commissioner about these penalties are ridiculous and all that. You know, shows the commissioner doesn't know what he's doing. Isn't the commissioner's punishment in line with I think with what he had every right to believe would be the players' association fighting player suspensions, whether they be sensible or, or not but fighting them tooth and nail? I mean, how can the players want sterner punishments when it would have been members of their union that would have been the ones punished? Well, I mean, I guess I'll say that I think it's on some level justifiable anger. It's Uh certainly 
unusual anger. Right. You don't see baseball players go after other baseball players like this. Uh, it will be interesting when we start or continue the investigation of just how widespread this sort of activity was in the league. It will be interesting to see what that unveils. But this is why there is a players' union, right? Yep. I mean, it's collective action. It's, yeah, a few individual members can do something that can say things that might not be wise, but that's why strong union support is so key for the players. And even those players probably ultimately who are calling for those heightened suspensions uh, will come around and understand that I, they'll be glad they have a union as well. I think, I think the most interesting thing would have been a public vote by the Players Association. I think 97% of them would have voted for no player suspension. Right. Maybe no, even 99%. It's not in the player's interest yeah. to call for the commissioner to have, a, to have the power to punish them beyond what their collective bargaining agreement allows. That's certain. What's the in, in final question is sort of how do you now want people to view the book Astro Ball? I mean, kind of what we hit on before that everything that's in it is not fraudulent. Mm-hmm. It's not wrong. There's still a lot we can learn about how the worst organization in sports built itself in just a few years into a champion using many techniques that were not at all illicit but uh, positive ones and modern ones and ones that can apply to all sorts of organizations. Caveat, though, <laughs> there's, they're a cautionary tale as well, so we should learn uh, you know, by what has happened to them when they took their innovative spirit, their edge-breaking culture too far. All right. He has been writer. I really appreciate your time today talking about this and when the uh, – when the podcast comes out, love to get you back on to promote it a little bit. Anytime, Stan. You're the man. Thanks very All much. All right. Thank you. That's Ben Ryder. Stan the man. Yeah. There you guess, go. guess he didn't know I was Stan the fan. I guess yeah, not. Yeah. I guess not. Stan the man is somebody out in St. Louis who played harmonica yeah. and had about 3,500 hits, right? 3,700 hits, something, something like, like that. that. Um, we are going to take our final time out. And in that timeout, i got to tell you about Baltimore's favorite bar. Craig, a trivia question. How many feet is it away from home plate at Camden Yards? 732. 771. Right. Very close. Sliders Bar and Grill just steps from Camden Yards is the perfect sports bar for Terps and Caps season with all the games on dozens of TVs. That means tonight. That place you, will be packed. Uh, tonight you can watch the Terps in Michigan State at 8 o'clock from Xfinity Center in College Park. Uh, all the games on dozens of TVs, Sliders Daily Specials, include Mexican Monday, Wingding Wednesday, and Bloody Run Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week, including Fancy Clancy Pilsner. Find out about all the parties and get info on having your own party or company event at slidersbaltimore.com. That's Sliders, one of Baltimore's original continuously operating bars and craig we got to tell folks about the uh, costas inn well 4100 north point boulevard is the place to go for great food and entertainment as well and that is the costas inn specials on the menu each and every week crab cake night on monday tuesday is rib night wednesday is steak night and with anything on the menu wednesday half price bottles of wine on Thursday, lobster night, either stuffed or regular, and uh, just throughout the entire week, 
uh, great specials on the menu, the entertainment, jazz night on Wednesday night, and also uh, some some very good rock and roll Friday and Saturday. It's all there for you at the Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Just want to remind folks, though, if you are thinking and saying, hey, that sounds like a great idea, let's go get crabs tonight, don't just show up there and expect you can get crabs. Uh, well, unless you're me. Yeah, exactly. Well, they, save the, they save the bad crabs on the side <laughs> for Craig. They go, here's a really small one. Here. Uh, Craig Heist. That's right. Craig Heist batch. That's how they get <laughs> siphoned out. <laughs> anyway, now we figured out what Nick does. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's the crab yeah. siphoner. That's right. Yeah, all right. Anyway, if you are thinking of going to the Augustus uh, Inn for crabs, Call them at 477-1975 to reserve your crabs. Make sure you don't ask for the heist back. No, right after they stop paying for this ad. <laughs> uh, hey, I've got one more ad to do. Okay. I've got one more ad to do, yeah. so i got to stop laughing. All right, serious stuff. serious stuff. Coming to the hall at Live, at Live Casino Hotel, are Squeeze, February 29th, OAR, March 14th, Adam Sandler, March 19th, Air Supply, April 3rd, Josh Groban, April 16th, Patti LaBelle, May the 2nd, Wu-Tang Clan, May 8th, Jay Leno, May the 15th, The 1975, May 29th, Alice Cooper, June 21st, and Gabriel Iglesias, August 22nd, and so much more. Free parking for all events. Get your tickets for everything now by going to Live Casino hotel.com one last thing about that gabriel iglesias i screwed up i thought there was a chance and i asked glenn clark that maybe anna kornikova would be there right but that's a different iglesias ah, okay silly me uh we'll be back to close things out on the show right after that if you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bill Ordeen dives into the future of sports betting here in Maryland with the push for legalization having already played out in neighboring states. Plus, our annual college lacrosse outlook as we get to know the area's top men's and women's players, including Johns Hopkins' Joey Epstein and Maryland's Brindy Griffin. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square now offers their piping hot chicken noodle and chicken tortilla soup. Shredded chicken breast with navy and black beans in a white creamy soup base with a perfect blend of vegetables and spicy heat. Topped off with seasoned corn tortilla strips, obviously perfect for cold weather. Plus, it's a great compliment to the best chicken sandwich on the planet. And if you're hosting or headed to a party, pre-order from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square Catering for not only is it delicious and a fan favorite, but it smells amazing and It'll be ready when you are. Download the Chick-fil-A app, place your order, and pile up Chick-fil-A bonus points. Good for free food. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Call Steve if you'd like your party catered by Chick-fil-A, 410-931-0031. 
The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Le Champion! Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Oh, we are back. Uh, again, if you missed any of the show, and I, I like I like all the show, Andrew Stetka, Mike Shallon, Bill Latson. The Latson was, he's always so-so, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you haven't known him as long as I have. <laughs> so he was great today, compared, huh? relatively speaking, he was great. <laughs> he sucked. Yeah, he sucked. <laughs> And uh, Ben Ryder, I thought the Ben Ryder interview was really good. Yeah, and some real good insight, too, as to, I mean, that, that you know, think about a guy who writes the book, Stan, and then all of a sudden you're, you're praising a team, and most of that book is surrounded about how they built that team and, and the analytics and everything else that went into it straight on down the line, and then to have all of this come out, what's come out about the team in 2017, it's got to be a little bit of a shock. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad he's taking these steps to keep oh, yeah. keep going, investigating more. Yeah, I think this is going to be a fascinating uh, podcast, and uh, we'll help promote it for Ben right. uh, on the show. I think he's a terrific writer. Uh, ben Ryder. Ben right. Ryder. Uh, that's going to wrap up the show. Thank you very much to Paul Valley. Uh, again, next Saturday, Paul and Miles Goodman will be here next Saturday, uh, filling in for me and Craig. I'll be back on the so that next Saturday is the seventh, correct? I'll be back on the fourteenth. Okay. Okay. All right. And then the twenty-first, I've got Eddie Matz's son's bar mitzvah. Okay. So I won't be in on the twenty-first. All right. That's a crazy story. The twenty the twenty-first. I got I got my fantasy baseball draft Sunday morning, nine o'clock. You know how that's my world revolves around. My fantasy baseball draft. And another losing season. <laughs> yes. Well, that goes without saying. But so Saturday, I've got a bar mitzvah at 10 o'clock in the morning. Then I have a wedding at like 4.30. But where's the wedding? Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, a nice little trip. Hour and 45 yeah, minutes. Absolutely. Great. So it means I can go for the wedding have like one like hors d'oeuvre. I still don't understand. Gotta... I still don't understand why you can't do the show that day. <laughs> <laughs> you, hopefully, you'll be available. That's why. Hopefully. All right. Anyway, we will uh, see you, Glenn Clark, here Monday through uh, Friday. Uh, I I'm not sure if it's this week or next week, but Ross Grimsley is back on Tuesdays. At nine, uh, like nine to nine forty-five. Well, there is a plethora of baseball information yep. right there, Mr. Yep. Grimsley. All right, that's going to do it for today, and uh, we'll talk to you on the other side. Bye.